confronts you and me this morning. There is no historical doubt, no historical doubt that Jesus Christ lived. His life and death have to be more attested to than any other in ancient history. And there really is no historical doubt that the tomb of Jesus Christ was empty that Easter morning. The real question is why? Why was it empty? Clearly, the disciples did not steal the body. They were in mourning, huddling in fear. Besides, they later gave their lives, saying that Jesus was alive. Clearly, the religious authorities didn't steal the body. They wanted Jesus dead. The last thing they wanted was to say that Jesus was now alive. You might say it's a mystery, the mystery of the empty tomb. What do you make of this mystery? What I'm going to say might surprise you, but how you resolve this mystery is one of the most important beliefs you have. We all believe something about this empty tomb, either that it's meaningless and has nothing to do with you and me, or it's a great hoax, the biggest scam in history, or, or it's the change we need that brings about all other changes. Notice, for John, the apostle, we're told in verses 8 and 9, he saw and believed. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he, Jesus, must rise from the dead. That leads us to act two, the reality the reality of Jesus' resurrection. Act two. Let's call it the reality of Jesus' resurrection. John and Peter go back, and in verses 11 through 18, read to us earlier, Mary stays outside the tomb weeping. With tears in her eyes, she gazes again into this empty tomb and finds it's no longer empty. Two angels are sitting there in gleaming white. And they ask her, woman, why are you weeping? It is a mild rebuke, as if to say, Mary, there's no reason to cry anymore. Mary, in the fog of grief, says, someone has moved his body. The presence of the angels just is not clicking for her yet. And then she, she must have heard someone approaching from behind her. She turns and sees an individual, doesn't recognize him, perhaps because of the tears filling her eyes or the grief filling her heart. He also asks her, woman, why are you weeping? Again, a mild rebuke. And then he asks, whom, whom are you seeking? I think a very interesting question to ponder. As if, Mary, what, what did you expect me to do? Well, Mary assumes it's the gardener, the caretaker of the place. So she replies, look, if you've moved his body, just tell me where it is. And then she hears, Mary. And the penny drops because she instantly recognizes the voice and says, Rabboni, or teacher, because it's Jesus standing right there in front of her. Look at verse 17. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me. Probably meaning... Mary, I'm not going to suddenly disappear like a phantom. You don't have to hang on to my legs like this. 
If it was in Southern California, we might say, just chill for a minute. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Instead, he says, go to my brothers and say to them, notice, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. I want to think about those words with you, that message he gives for his disciples through Mary. Think about those words, my God and your God. Those are very significant. From Moses, uh, from Abraham, sorry, from Abraham and Moses, throughout the entire Old Testament, throughout the entire New Testament, the, the heart of the covenant God makes with his people, the heart of a committed relationship that God initiates with his people is this. I will be your God, you will be my people. It's a dramatic change of relationship, but what kind of change exactly? Well, notice what else he says. I'm ascending to my father and your father. Those are very significant words. To my father and your father. Now, this is God the Son in the flesh. So, of course, he can refer to the infinite, holy, majestic creator of the universe as my father. But of the disciples, your father? The disciples having God as father as well? I mean, did you notice what he said to Mary? Go to, to whom? You see? Go to my brothers. He's talking about his disciples, not his biological brothers, not his biological family. Go to my brothers, my family members. And this is the ultimate individual change, you might say, that Easter brings to us today. Of the many benefits we derive from the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, here is the pinnacle. Jesus enables all who believe to call upon the living God of the universe as Father, because you are his beloved child. Oh, take that in with me for a moment. Author Marilyn Robinson has written a series of novels about an elderly pastor and his family in Iowa. The best known is called Gilead. One of the sequels is entitled Home, appropriately entitled home. In home, this father is, is slowly dying. Jack, the prodigal son figure, he's come suddenly to live at home. He's been away for years. No one knew really where he was. And then he shows up one day. And it's evident through the novel that the relationship between father and son has been especially a hard one for the father. At one point, he says to Jack, you never had a name for me. Never a name like dad or daddy or father. The father says to his son, you, you never had a name for me. Not one you'd call me to my face. <laughs> Why is that? Jack shook his head. I, I don't know myself. They all seemed wrong when I said them. I didn't desire to speak to you the way the others did, the way his siblings did. 
Oh, his father said, that was what I waited for. That was what I wanted. For Jack to relate to him as father. Now, let's just do a little thought experiment. Imagine for a moment God saying those words to you. That was what I waited for. That, that was really what I wanted for you to call him father. How would that affect you? How would that land on you? That's the change Easter holds out to you personally for all who believe. Father. Now, I know that for some, your, your earthly father was not a good one, maybe even an abusive one. And I'm very, very sorry if that's the case. I hope you can consider that this father did not spare his own beloved son for his enemies, for those who hated him, for those who were opposed to him. He gave his one beloved son that those who hated him might become his child, his children. That is a very different kind of father. But for most of us, I think we respond like Jack did. Do we not? I can't speak to God the way the others do. I could never call God my father. I'm not worthy of doing so. And you're right, you're not worthy of doing so. Neither am I, but Jesus is. He's God the Son. God the Son, through his life, death, and resurrection, can make you a son or daughter of God. That's what's happening here in Act 2. The change of Easter at a, at a personal level, you might say, is to bring you home or to remind you that he's already brought you home if you have already believed. He's brought you home as his child. But how? How is this possible? Well, that's Act 3, the hope of the risen Christ. Act 3, the hope of the risen Christ. In verses 19 to 23, which are also on your lyric sheet, the disciples are huddled together, doors locked in fear that Sunday night, when suddenly the risen Jesus stands in their midst, saying in verse 19, peace be with you. Now, to make sure they caught the message, he says it again. Read on with me. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I'm not a phantom of some kind. It's really me, physically risen from the dead. Here are my hands. Here's my side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I do believe that's an understatement. <laughs> they were glad when they saw the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. If you read on in the passage in verse 26, he says it a third time, peace be with you. Three times Jesus says, peace be with you. I think he's making a point. Do you? What does it mean? Well, Jesus is Jewish. He's speaking to Jewish men. The Jewish idea of peace or shalom, you've probably heard that word, shalom or peace, the idea is one of well-being. Well-being or wholeness or, or soundness. 
Now, peace be with you was a standard greeting for them. But when it's said three times by a guy who's just risen from the dead, I think more is implied. <laughs> On his lips, it implies well-being and wholeness and soundness on a worldwide scale. This is the change that leads to all other changes. I mean, you talk about your it's Friday, but Sunday's coming moment. It is, as Jesus says at the end of the Bible, behold, I am making all things new. That's loaded into this greeting three times on the lips of a guy who just rose from the dead. Behold, I'm making all things new. Do you believe that? A year ago, everything began changing for us. Now we know even better how this world lacks well-being, how it lacks wholeness and soundness. We've been more aware this past year of sickness and disease and death. Not only that, violence fills our world. Recently, a gunman killed eight people in Atlanta. Six days later, a man killed 10 people in a grocery store in Colorado. This past week, someone killed four people in the city of Orange, including a nine-year-old child. And those are just a few windows, just a few windows into the pain and suffering throughout our country and around the world every day. And yet Jesus Christ, the risen one, holds out this hope Perfect well-being one day, perfect wholeness one day, perfect soundness that overcomes all of this world's problems. That's a really important hope to take in. I want to loop back to that in a moment because there's one more aspect of this piece to highlight the forgiveness of sins. Here's how, here's how individuals can call God Father. Verse 21, as the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 23, if you withhold, I'm sorry, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus is saying, I am sending you guys and I'm going to send the church to proclaim good news. And here's the effect. Here's the effect of proclaiming that good news of what I've done. The effect is those who trust in my life, death, and resurrection, all their sins, all they've done wrong, all the shame and guilt weighing on them, it's all taken away. That's the good news you guys go and proclaim, he says. But for those who do not believe this good news, their sins are not forgiven. So, so here's the question for us this Easter do you see your need to be forgiven by God of your sin? Do you see that? Sin is falling short of God's perfect standard. It's true of all of us. In fact, we enter this world in a sinful condition, the Bible says. And anyone who's raised a two-year-old can verify that. And so we thumb our noses at God. We turn away from God to other things. Yet God is infinitely holy and infinitely just. 
And that means he must punish every sin. If God fails, if he fails to punish every sin, he fails to be just, he fails to be God. So catch this, either, either we receive God's just judgment for our sins or Jesus does. Either we endure what we have earned and rightfully deserved forever, or Jesus Christ applies his life, death, and resurrection for full and free forgiveness for all who believe. Do you see how Easter is the moment that changes everything? We could, we could think of this hope kind of like Lucy's precious cordial in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. I mean, you knew I was going to have a Narnia illustration, didn't you? Yeah, I'm predictable. In that story, Father Christmas gives a few gifts to these children in this magical land called Narnia. He gives them on behalf of Aslan, the great lion representing Jesus. He gives to Peter, to Peter, a glorious shield and sword to fight Aslan's battles. He gives to Susan a bow that does not easily miss and a quiver full of arrows. And then he gives to the youngest, Lucy, a small bottle. And Father Christmas says, in this bottle, there is a cordial made of the juice of one of the fire flowers. Listen, if anyone is hurt, a few drops of this will restore them. Well, Lucy is disappointed in this gift. And yet after the great battle, when her brother and others lie mortally wounded, Lucy go goes around doling out drops from the precious cordial to bring healing, to bring restoration. That's a lot like this peace accomplished by the risen Jesus Christ, that well-being, that wholeness. It's like, as we read on Friday from Isaiah 53, upon him, upon Jesus, was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And by his wounds, Isaiah said, we are healed. This morning, the Holy Spirit, you might say, is in the role of Lucy. And he's going around to dole out drops from this precious cordial to you and me. Where do you need to take that in? The hope of the risen Christ. The peace he offers you. Where do you need that right now? If you've yet to surrender to Christ and trust in him, I say to you, open your mouth and take in a few drops of this precious cordial this precious remedy for your soul, bringing you forgiveness of your sins, a right standing with God now and forever through faith alone, and the ability to relate to God as your Father, making you his beloved child. I urge you, come to Jesus. Turn to him. Turn to him even now and trust in, rely on his life and death and resurrection to bring you to God, and he will. He will. And if you want to read a little bit more about that, there's a free book for you at the information table up there, up the hill, about 10 copies of a little book that I recommend for you.
For others here, maybe you've already experienced this peace between you and God as a Christian. I want to ask you, where do you need a few drops from this precious cordial, again applied to your life? Where in your life right now does it feel like you're stuck in Friday, a dark day, it feels kind of hopeless, and you need to know afresh that Sunday's coming, that Sunday's now here. Where is that for you? Got it in mind? Friend, you and I, you and I need to live in the good of this Easter hope every day. As one writer put it, hope is when we borrow tomorrow's joys for today. I like that. Hope is when we borrow tomorrow's joys, coming perfect peace from Jesus. You borrow those joys from tomorrow and you bring them into today. Where is that for you? Maybe you're walking through some physical suffering, pain in your body, disease, the inevitable aging process, and that is very hard. I say open your mouth today. Take in another drop of this peace, the shalom of the risen Jesus. He is making all things new, and that includes you. So borrow tomorrow's joys for your physical sufferings. Then we can be like the Apostle Paul who said he was sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There are real sorrows in this life, real sorrows, and yet we can, we can rejoice. The ultimate Sunday's coming when all things are made new. Or secondly, maybe you feel just weighed down by sin or the effects of sin. Maybe there's a relationship that's been harmed by sin. Maybe it's your marriage and you and your spouse you're estranged, or at least in your heart, you're quite distant. I say open your mouth. Take in a couple drops from this precious cordial. Remember the forgiveness of your sins and that God is your father and you are his child. And think about your spouse or those around you like Jesus does here. Go tell my brothers. Mary, go tell my brothers. Not Go tell those guys who failed me and abandoned me in the garden. Go tell my brothers. Think about your spouse as your brother or sister or that person you're thinking about right now and apply a healing drop of the gospel of peace. Then we can do what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 4. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Or lastly, maybe you just feel overwhelmed by life in this world of suffering. And I understand that. Perhaps you find yourself engaging in what has been called doom-scrolling. Scrolling and scrolling on your phone through more and more bad news. Just unable to stop, it seems, until your outlook on life is only defined by doom. It's not defined theologically. It's defined by doom. Let the hope of, of Easter change your view. To give you a new lens. 
to alter your perspective, not to ignore real problems, but to give you a kind of buoyancy of soul, a buoyancy of soul so you're not drowning in doom because you know Christ has come, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming again. You say, it's Friday in so many ways, but that Sunday's coming, right? Open your mouth for a few drops. Remember, he is sure to come, shalom. He is making all things new. That's the change that has come through Easter and the change that will come through Easter because Christ has been raised. Would you pray with me, please? And just consider for a moment where for you you need to borrow tomorrow's joys for today. Tomorrow's certain joys, tomorrow's sure joys for right now.